The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Well, last week we began a uh, new series entitled The Holiness of God. In the English language, when, when we want to convey emphasis through writing what do we use we underline a word or a phrase we use that bold type font or put an asterisk beside it or as i pointed out last week if you if you want to scream on a text message what do you do it's all caps and so that's how we emphasize something in writing but in hebrew literature one of the ways that magnitude or emphasis is expressed is by the use of repetition and there is only one description of God in all of the Bible that is repeated consecutively three times. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 though he is love. The Bible says, never says that he is just, 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 or merciful, merciful, merciful. But the Bible declares in Isaiah chapter 6 that he is holy, holy, holy. And in light of this emphasis on God's holiness, I believe we would do well to consider and meditate on his holiness and how his holiness impacts our own lives. So just a quick review from last week. Holiness, as we discussed, has this idea of separateness. God is set apart. Now, we have to be careful here. Because God is not separate from us or his creation in the way that a table is separate from a chair. But as R.C. Sproul points out, God, God is transcendentally separate. In other words, to transcend means to go above or go beyond. God's ways, the scripture declares, are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. So God is not separate from us just in a, in a sense that he's just different. Oh, he's different, all right, but he is beyond us. He is infinitely above us. He is majestic. He's holy. God's holiness is almost synonymous with his deity. I love what Piper said. He said that God is holy because God is God. Here's what I want you to understand about holiness. It is not, holiness is not a single attribute of God like love or just or mercy. Instead, holiness is the sum of all that God is. It includes his holy love, his holy anger, his holy mercy, his holy justice, and so on. And I believe that's why we have emphasis, because it's not just one attribute. It's all of who God is. You know, I think one of the problems today in our world is that we have a really low view of God. Even in preaching, you hear a very low view of God preached often. The Lord has been defamed in many people's minds, and he's reduced to kind of this cute, cuddly, oh, nothing's really a big deal, kind of hippie God, if you will. Folks, that is not the God that we serve. We serve a mighty, all-powerful God who is to be uh, revered, who is to be honored. 
And so last week we looked from the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 6 at God's holiness. And, and we focused just on God. What it means that he is holy. And we saw from the text that it means that he is everlasting. His kingdom will never end. He's sovereign. He is all-powerful. His plans will never be thwarted. He is majestic. His beauty and his splendor are unmatched. He's to be revered, and he alone is worthy of praise. And that gives us a good, though not complete, picture of God's holiness. Well, today, we're going to look at the next several verses from Isaiah chapter 6, and we will see how his holiness actually impacts us. So if you would, for a brief moment, stand for the, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. How does God's holiness impact our own lives? Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4. The foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I want you to notice Isaiah's response. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his, in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt, is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray this morning you receive it as such. You may be seated. So I want to quickly walk you through two different parts of Isaiah's experience with this holy God. If you're taking notes, we're going to begin by looking at Isaiah's misery. Listen, experiencing the true presence of God is actually a traumatic experience at first. And we see this in Isaiah's life. I want you to think about this. If anyone has reason to feel good about his own spirituality amongst the Israelites, it would be Isaiah. The nation, as we talked about last week, has gone into great spiritual decline since the end of King Uzziah's reign in Judah. So when Isaiah has this vision, he is likely then in the temple seeking the Lord for direction. Sounds like a really spiritual person, right? And comparatively, he was. He's among the spiritual elite. But I want you to, again, notice what happens when he encounters God and he sees the king on the throne. Look at verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell 
in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Last Tuesday, having two hospital visits in Lexington in the morning and then a, a, an afternoon appointment, I decided to kill some time and get a much-needed haircut before my son's graduation that evening. And so I drive to a barber shop downtown that I've never been to before. And I walk in, and it looks a little bit rough, but before I can process kind of the atmosphere, I'm sitting in an open chair getting prepped to get my hair cut. And the guys begin talking, and they're just dropping F-bombs one after another. And I'm just sitting there, you know. Um, and, and about 10 minutes into my cut, the guy to my right proudly announces how much pot he smokes. And then he looks at me, and he says, you're not a cop, are you? And I said, worse, I'm a preacher. <laughs> this kind of silent hush came about the room. It's like a giant bar of soap came in that barbershop and just washed their mouths out. It was crazy. It was surreal. From that point on, it, I mean, this, the conversation looked a lot different. I left them a good tip, by the way. And, uh, oh, to be a fly on the wall after I left. When, when, I, when I left, true story, when I left, the, the, before I, right before I left, the guy on the far chair to the, my left, he looks at me and he says, were you kidding me? Are you really a preacher? I said, yeah, <laughs> I sure am. So, so um, I want you to think about this. If, if in my presence, an, an imperfect man, if, if my presence can have that kind of traumatic impact on someone, can you imagine what happens when a person truly encounters the holy God? Think about that. In the presence of God, Isaiah cries out these three words. Woe is me. Remember last week I, I talked about people having this buddy relationship with God and approaching him very casually. I get that, that he's not in impressed with our Christianese language and big words and all of that, but we ought, he ought to be approached reverently. And, you know, this, this flippant way that, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, that's garbage, friends. No, he's a holy, majestic God, and we ought to honor him. I talked last week, and, and I, I want to be sure that I, I'm not trying to go back into legalism, but I think even his house, his, his sanctuary ought to be reverence. There ought to be a, 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 just an honor when we come together and worship him and the way that we act and, 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 and the way that we dress in every way we ought to honor him. And that doesn't mean suits and ties. I'm just saying we just ought to have a respect. We ought to prepare our hearts when we come in together to worship God. People say, well, you know, you can just go to God and talk to him like a buddy. I get that he's a friend that sticks closer to the brother. But when you're really, when you really have a God encounter, you know, you don't walk into the throne room of God and say, hey, what's up, dude? You don't do that. It's disrespectful. What does Isaiah say? Woe is me. Now, let me unpack this for a moment. Dr. Sproul points out that the literary form that was common to the prophet of Israel is what was called the oracle. And among the Jews, there were two types of oracles. You have the oracles of will. If you're taking notes, that's W-H-E-E-L. That would be an oracle of blessing. And then you have an oracle of woe. These are prophetic announcements. These are words that God gave the prophets 
either for good or for bad for the people. Now, the oracles of will or the oracles of blessing were oracles of really good news. These were prophetic words that were really, really good. The word used to introduce such good news would be the word blessed. And you pro- your mind probably goes to the Sermon on the, Na- uh, the Mount when Jesus intentionally uses that word. And he gives us what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These are prophetic words. These are truthful words that, listen, if you're meek, you'll get this. If, if, you, are, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. These are promises. If you live this way, you will be blessed. He was pronouncing the oracle of God's divine blessing for the people who live that way. And that still holds true for today. The antithesis of this was the oracle of woe. You don't want a prophet giving you an oracle of woe. These were announcements that God gave these prophets that were really, really bad news. You might remember Jesus began his rebuke of the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees, these religious elite, with these words in Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, you who think you're so spiritually good, you who think you're among the elite, woe to you. Christ knows their hearts. They hated him for it. So he's giving this oracle of woe. What's interesting in our text today is that Isaiah seems to do something unheard of. You see this? He's pronouncing a prophetic utterance of doom upon himself. Woe is me. That's what happens when he gets in to the presence of God and he sees God for who he really is in all his holiness. Isaiah feels hopeless. He feels broken. And he just cries out in anguish. Woe is me. We need to add that to our only I can only imagine song. Will I stand in your presence or will I cry? Woe is me, right? I don't know how that would work in that tune, but we need to rewrite it. Isaiah sees something for the first time, see? He knew God. He, he, he wanted to know God. He sought God. He wanted God's direction for his life and for God's people. But God was almost a concept in his mind. He didn't understand God in his fullness. Oh, he would have probably said, yes, God is holy. God is separate. But he didn't understand. So he saw God here for the first time in his utter holiness. And as we talked about last week, it's likely here. John says this, John chapter 12, that he's actually seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. But you know what? Isaiah saw God for the first time, truly. But do you know who else Isaiah saw for the first time? Isaiah saw Isaiah in his essence for the first time. When Isaiah gets this vision, not only does he understand who God is, but he sees the depths of his own heart. We live in a day when people often use camera filters on social media. Come on, any Snapchat folks up in here? And we use that to hide imperfections. There's a trick now. You don't even use a normal camera just to take regular pictures. You take it on Snapchat, save it to your phone. Come on, I know your business. 
And you turn the filter on to hide all that, those wrinkles and blemishes and all that to make you look perfect and stunning. And you put those online. Have you ever seen somebody online first that you've not yet met in person? And you see them and they're like, oh, yeah, they've got it going on. And you meet them and you're like, ah, you know, you just kind of <laughs> filter, 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 right? <laughs> do you know that when we look in the mirror, you know what we do? When we look in the mirror at ourselves, you know what we do? We put a filter there. We're looking through a filter every time. Judging by the world around us, here's what we think. Like Isaiah, hey, we're pretty good. At least I'm not like so-and-so. That other person at church that's not quite as spiritual as you or especially that person you saw in the supermarket going crazy, or at least I'm not like her. When we look at the world around us, see, we, we judge ourselves by that, and we're looking through a filter. It's a distorted view. And that's why most people think, oh, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm talking apart from Christ. I'm a pretty good person because we have this distorted view of self. But when we have a true God encounter and we come face to face with the holy God, we get a glimpse of his true holiness. When we encounter Jesus Christ, the well, here's what happens. Jesus is light. The filter is removed the veil's removed, and we can see the vileness of our own hearts. Think about this. If you've ever, have you ever shaved in the dark before or like a dimly lit room, and you think, man, it looks pretty good, and you go get in your car, and you look in the rearview mirror, and you see like patches all over your face? Because the light's revealing, isn't it? And see, when you look at people around you, you can feel really good. Like, I've got it going on. When you get close to the light of Jesus Christ or you open the word of God, we start to see those imperfection. And so Isaiah says, woe is me. He goes on to say this, for I am lost. And here's what I want you to see. He's utterly broken. The word lost in the King James Version is the word undone. And I like that. We don't talk that way much anymore. But Isaiah sees himself for the first time and he becomes undone unraveled he is utterly broken when he realizes the depths of his sin he's shattered in a thousand pieces and he goes on to say this for i'm a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips what's he doing here friends he's confessing his sin he's humbling himself and here's what's interesting before Isaiah says anything about anybody else, he deals with himself and he says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Friends, we live in a world where we, we love the blame game. It's everybody else's fault. You know, what, what's wrong with our country? It's the other, you know, side of politics. It's the liberals or it's the, the conservatives if you're on the other side. It's, it's somebody else's fault always. Or, oh, it was my upbringing. Or, well, I've just been dealt bad cards. And we always love, don't we, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We love to point out the faults of other people. But when we're really confronted with Jesus, we're forced by the light to look at ourselves first. And this is exactly what Isaiah does. He sees his own imperfections Clearly. 
Isaiah sees the whole nation around him as in spiritual decline. He went to the temple seeking, what do we do? What's this nation going to do? But now he says, oh, Lord, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he goes on, yeah, the nation's messed up too, but Lord, start with me. On the way over here this morning, I said, Lord, awaken our hearts to your holiness. We're so, you know, I, I am so excited about what God's doing at the halfway house that I preach at every Sunday morning. Last Sunday, I was so excited to preach on the majesty of God. And I'm telling you, those men get it. And they said, Chris, we, this morning they told me, they said, we, we met almost every day last week studying God's word and praying together. These are prisoners. These are inmates. And, and you just feel a sense when you're in that room now with these guys who really are there for the right reasons. It's their day to sleep in and they're getting up, only six of them, but, but it only takes two or three, right? And, and, and the, God's just moving and there's just a, just a sweet presence of God's spirit in that place. And on the way over here, I said, oh Lord, you know, we can become so complacent. I want, I want our church to respond to the, your majesty and your holiness. And then all of a sudden it hit me. Oh, wait, before you look at them, why don't I look at my own heart and say, oh, God, let me respond to your holiness. Lord, I want revival in my church. But oh, Lord, let it start right here. Lord, help our, our, our people to be, you know, hungry for the word, hungry for prayer, so on and so forth. But, Lord, let it start right here. Then Isaiah does something. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He, he, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, it's interesting. Why not I'm a man of unclean actions? Because aren't we much more worried about what we do than what we say? See, I believe it is because the lips reveal the true state of the heart. You complain all the time. What do you reveal? The joy of the Lord is not in your heart. You're not trusting God. It's a lack of faith. James, talk about, James talks about the tongue and, and its wickedness. It's destructive. Why? Because it testifies of what is ultimately in the heart. Jesus in Luke 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know where somebody stands with the Lord? Hang out with them long enough. Not just in church. Listen to how they speak. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Verse 18, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I struggle with that part right there, but if you know me, I'm a kind of a germaphobe kind of thing. So listen, it's not, he's saying, listen, the, the, the Pharisees are so, they, they think this matter to be so critical about washing your hands and being ceremonially clean on the outside. But the problem is their hearts were far from God. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about eating with unclean hands. That's not what's going in is not going to defile you. It's what's coming out. The mouth is a testimony of what is in the heart. So in confessing that he is a man of unclean lips, here's what Isaiah is saying. I have a sinful heart. 
And in great humility, he realizes that he has not an ounce of righteousness of his own. Friends, he's broken to the core. And now, watch this. He is in a place of great humility where God can mold him and use him. This is the place we need to be. He's malleable now for the hands of God. If we walk in his presence thinking that we're something that we've got it all together, that, ah, yeah, I mean, it's good that Jesus died, but I, I probably could have done this on my own. I'm a pretty good person. That kind of attitude. You're not malleable. But when you have a broken and a contrite heart before the Lord, God will use that. And so that is Isaiah's misery. It was a very traumatic experience. But here's the good news. I'm going to look secondly at God's mercy. God's mercy. Look at verse 6. One of the seraphim, these angelic beings, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So there's this seraph that, that takes a burning coal from the altar, makes his way straight to Isaiah, touches his mouth, and declares that his guilt is taken away. His sin is atoned for. Now think about that picture in your mind. A hot coal touching your mouth. The lips, as you know, are one of the most sensitive parts of the body. This was surely a painful moment for Isaiah. You can kind of hear that flesh sizzle. Have you ever burnt your mouth before, your lips before? It hurts. But this is not a cruel act from God. It's merciful. It's an act of cleansing. And friends, this is not cheap grace. It's not intellectual believism. It's, this is a wrestling, a searing of the flesh. That's what saving faith looks like. Uh, salvation is not a raising of your hand in the service. It's not praying a magical prayer. It's a broken and a contrite heart. It's a searing of the flesh, a turning to Christ through repentant faith. That's what faith is. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, his flesh has been seared. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this experience doesn't ultimately, though, hurt Isaiah. It actually heals him. The painful moments in your life that are God moments will not ultimately hurt you. This is really good news, but they will actually heal you. God is putting Isaiah back together. He's rebuilding Isaiah piece by piece for kingdom purposes. Look at verse 8. Isaiah says, I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? By the way, you catch the us there. That's the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in the Old Testament. Here I am, Isaiah says, send me. Here's what's so incredible. One moment. In one moment, Isaiah feels like nothing, broken, shattered, humiliated by his own sin. Woe is me, knowing the wickedness of his own heart for the first time. But in that brokenness, God moves. And after experiencing the grace, the mercy of Almighty God, he has this newfound usability. 
Not only is God putting the broken pieces together, but he's going to use him for kingdom purposes. And now he can stand before the living God and say, here I am, send me. Isn't that a beautiful picture of grace? Do you see the gospel here? You see the gospel here? Do you remember Tim Keller's summation of the gospel that I gave you several months ago if, if you were here? Here it is. I, I love this. The gospel says that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. To know why the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, you've got to first come to turn with the bad news that we're sinners that can never stand apart from Christ in the presence of a holy God and not be utterly consumed. Calvin said this, so long as we do not look beyond the earth, we are quite pleased with our own righteousness, wisdom, and virtue. We address ourselves in the most flattering terms and seem only less than demigods. But we must begin to raise our thoughts to God and reflect on what kind of being he is and how absolute the perfection of that righteousness and wisdom and virtue to which as a standard we are bound to be conformed. When you do that, you see the depths of your own heart. You know why the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead? It's because before he began his earthly ministry, their holiness looked really impressive to people. The people around the Pharisees were really, really taken back by their eliteness, their own spirituality, their self-righteousness. They were put on this pedestal. But when Jesus came on the scene, the light revealed the depths of the darkness of their own hearts. And he showed clearly, without even really having to say anything, though he did call them out on it, he showed clearly that their hearts were far from him, that their righteousness was a sham. And instead of responding to Christ's holiness with humility, what did they do? They responded with pride and they demanded that he be put to death. Many of you were raised in church and compared to the world, you've lived pretty clean lives. But I, I want to ask you, have you come to the place where you've put yourself up to the light of Christ and his word? You'll understand if you do that. Why Isaiah cries out, woe is me. That should be our next real life t-shirt. Real life, woe is me. <laughs> if you will respond, listen to me with a broken and contrite heart like Isaiah did. Quit blaming the world around you for all that is wrong and look inwardly and repent. You're in a perfect position just like Isaiah for God's merciful hand to touch your life. He will, he, listen, God's presence will utterly break you, but he will put you back together again in a way that will blow your mind. It'll, you, you'll be better than ever. Okay, it'll be a new you. You're in Christ, new creation. One more thing I want to point out. Praise team, you can come. It's not the coal now that cleanses us. The cross is what heals us. The cross is what takes away our sin. The sacrifice that Jesus made 
at Calvary. It's interesting. It's not seraphim flying to us. God doesn't send the angel to fly to us to touch our mouths with burning coal. Instead, he sent Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, who took a searing of the flesh on our behalf. And in it, he appeased the wrath of God. What do you need to be saved from? The wrath of God. He's not cute and cuddly like you think. He's a holy God and he demands perfection and we're not perfect. So without Christ, without the sacrifice, without the cross, we should be utterly destroyed, consumed, broken, afraid. But thank God for grace. Thank God for the cross. That he came to us, running to us, leaving glory, coming to earth. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Lived the perfect life. Was obedient to the cross. Dying for the very people who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that grace. And through faith, our lips are seared by the cross. And we're cleansed from the inside out. May we, church, today consider the holiness of our great God. May you be blown away, maybe for the first time, even if you've grown up in church. Maybe you've just considered God as this fluffy little, nothing matters, hippie God. It's not the God of the Bible. He's a mighty God. He's omnipotent, omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. We serve an awesome God. He's sovereign. His plans will not be thwarted. Don't think for a minute that any politician can move God's ultimate plans. No, His purposes are established. They were predestined and they will come to pass because He's mighty. He's on the throne. It's laughable to think that men and women can thwart the plans of God. No, His purposes will remain. So as you consider His majesty today, As we sing this song one more time, I invite you to stand. We're not going to tarry long. If you don't know this wonderful God, this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, run to His throne today. If you've grown up in church, but you've never had this God encounter, listen. Allow the Lord to break you today. Don't run. Don't harden your heart from His presence. Just in humility, fall down at at, at, at the feet of Christ and say, Oh, I'm lost. I'm a man, I'm a woman of unclean lips. Place yourself at the mercy of God and watch Him as you're broken, rebuild you piece by piece and walk out of here a new man of God, a new woman of God today. Father, we thank You today. Father, let Your Spirit just be poured out upon this people afresh today. God, start revival in my old heart today. Forgive us for forever approaching You casually or flippantly or or, or any other way, Father, that's not reverently. Oh, Father, You're a holy God and You are worthy of the highest praise. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy, Father, of praise. And so today, God, spark something in our hearts. Let us see. Remove the veil. Take away the complacency. Let us see the majesty of a mighty God, the mighty God that You are. And as we do, may we be broken to the core that you may rebuild us, Father. 
May we remember, Father, even those of us who have been saved forever, that if it were not for Christ, that we would not be able to stand before you today, that we would not be able to approach your throne today. Thank you for the cross. If there's a sinner here that's not repented, Father, may they run to you. May they fall on their knees today and turn to you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.